Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-hosts Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our special guest, Chris Sienko. Hello. I already introduced him on the last time we had him on an episode, but uh, just in case, as loud as possible magazine, uh, which is what we're talking about today. Absolutely. Just a casual conversation with uh, someone who put together a mighty fine noise magazine. A mighty fine one issue Noise yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about I that. Mean, and we're going to talk about is it. Is it really a magazine? It's sort of a book it's at that point. <laughs> I, I'm, it's pretty darn booky. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, we've referenced this thing in a couple couple of uh, episodes, most specifically the Zone Nord, where we quoted Chris directly, his writing, and uh, used his work as the basis for our research. So we thought, uh, what better than to have him on to talk about the process of making this magazine, the impetus to do it, and... Uh, the gritty details behind it and why we are stuck with one fantastic issue. And Chris is really good at research. It's, he brought, he brought <laughs> down some very deep rabbit holes sometimes. And books. Yeah. He we, brought notes to distribute to us and he brought books and multiple versions of different recordings for stuff we're working on episodes with him with. And how damn cool is that? I absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely setting the bar. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's... It's a high caliber yeah. of guests we got here. Uh, and I, I, if I can just jump into that real quickly, I, I've, I'm, you know, any noise album worth its salt can be listened to just as a piece of sonic art and be very exciting and very enjoyable. But and one of the things I love about this podcast, too, is that like noise uh, the best thing about noise is talking about it with other people and getting the story and getting context and then getting more context. And so like every single time you get excited about like a new noise thing, my first thought is always like, well, where did this come from? What are the other people doing something similar? Uh, you know, it always, it always comes back to sort of like a, like an oral tradition or something like that. So it's, it's never that surprising to me that, you know, if I get really down the rabbit hole, I want to know every single thing about it. And yeah. yeah. Well, the impetus for this podcast when we started was just based on, we were talking about, I mean, what you do at gigs, you talk about new noise releases, old noise releases, stuff you've been listening to and decided it should be a podcast. Well, I mean, you know, for the last 20 years that's what we've done, you know. Yeah. Every single time we hang out, it's we're just talking about we're and yeah, just the idea to be like Let's uh, let's just hit record on this because this is what we do. I mean, we were just yeah. doing that, just yelling over each other and talking about. So it. yeah, so now we're just gonna like. make everyone else listen to it. But uh, <laughs> but 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 yeah, like I mean, the deep dive that we got to go into with you on the anti-performance tape is like that's an entire new tape for everyone now to explore in the way that we just got to explore it. Or you know, like you know, like I think for us that kind of something we mentioned similarly on the condom episode where it's like for however many years we listened to the eighth pillar mm -hmm. just as a great piece of sonic art, but now there's a whole nother way to listen to it. And yeah, that's the thing with noise is you can constantly have that. And, you know, I think it's not closing a book. It's like writing new chapters to yes. it. One of the, my favorite things about going to like a festival or traveling for it is, is that you get to sort of reconnect with all these people, either that, you know, through the internet or that, you know, in person, but see rarely. And that's what always ends up happening is you just sit around. Sometimes you'll even miss acts that you wanted to see just because you're down in the basement, like talking about what you've been listening to, or this one time you saw this one thing or, yeah. or whatever. And <laughs> seeing a band and seeing a friend carry equal weights when you're at a gig. Oh yeah. yeah. One, one of sure. my least favorite, one of my least favorite things is, is anytime someone would be like, Oh God, are you guys just like talk about something else. Why are you just talking about noise? So Why are you just talking about writers? And I was like, 
what else is there to talk about? I don't have anything else to talk about. So <laughs> sometimes talk about very, the weather. Yeah. Sometimes it can get very flowery and complicated, but sometimes it's as simple as you got that one tape. Yeah, fucking rules. Yeah. yeah. Was, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and it, and it just and it still feels the same. You're like it feels mm-hmm. good because there's like what other group of people in your life are gonna care as much as you are about this new alchemy cd that you finally heard right, or whatever right. exactly <laughs> you have this tribe of people who are like yes i had an experience with that as well and it's still burned in my memory or whatever <laughs> like and i've been trying to score that for five years and yeah. i finally got it yeah oh, it's the best <laughs> War it's stories, the best buying stories things i missed you know going through old catalogs i could have bought this for ten dollars back in the day yeah. <laughs> talking that. about ob strips uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. we looked at some ob strips earlier uh, actually uh, ob strips on cds <laughs> ob strips on, strips on cds give me it baby yeah. um but yeah so as loud as possible now i guess let's take us back to kind of the beginning when did the idea come up and not yeah i guess just just take us from the beginning okay. yeah so um i i did a little i i sort of looked backwards a little bit and if i remember right um steve underwood steve underwood and i had been um corresponding by email a little bit uh around 2005 2006 uh i ran a distro very briefly in 2003 and i picked up a couple of the ceramic hob seven inch that Steve put out. Uh, it was re- co-released between Harbinger and Idwell Fisher, which is, you know, mm-hmm. of course a blog and was a magazine back in the day. Rest in peace, Simon Morris. Yes. Absolutely. Oh boy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, that's colored this entire year, uh, yeah. thus far for a lot of people. So, in, uh, 2007's no fun festival, uh, Steve Underwood and Mark Wharton of Idwell Fisher and a few other folks, I think came over, for the festival. And so that was the first time I met Underwood in person. And we just got on immediately. Like we had been emailing a little bit. I'd been buying a couple records from him. I think he had just put out and the vultures miss nothing or something like that. And I'd bought that, but like, we just, we got along really well. And so 2007, 2006, 2007, like to put it in context, that was like the sort of the high watermark for blogs. Like everyone, not only was, were blogs like a big deal. Like there was this sort of like feeling in the air of like, get used to it. This is all that's left. Like there, there just weren't print zines going around Mm -hmm. at that point. But there was also this feeling of like, we just don't need them anymore. We have blogs now. And Steve was so adamantly against that. And he's like, there needs to be a print magazine that documents all of this stuff. And I was like, I agree. And we were talking with other people at no fun. And the original sort of as loud as possible, crew you know started sort of like doing these group email things around 2007 and i remember there were like six or eight of us that were initially banding ideas around and basically it just came down to there should be a magazine there just isn't a magazine there should be a big magazine Mm -hmm. it should focus on old stories that aren't being told anymore and again because of like blogs and the internet there was this this sort of aversion. Steve was just like allergic to the internet. He hated certain aspects of it and it was like, not just, you know, old stories, but like stuff that's not on the internet at all. We need to find acts that aren't out there, you know? And I think like, I don't remember who all was in the original sort of group emails, but I'm almost certain that it was Garrett Whitmer who coined as loud as possible as the name of the magazine which is a fantastic title obviously an incapacitance yep reference but yeah the just alchemy a, cd a perfect perfect it, title it, it for the was magazine. it was like a bomb went off no, like the uh, i'm sorry to do this i'm i'm putting my uh 
finger on my glasses, but no, the, as loud as possible is, is not alchemy. It is the uh, oh, it's the a brisky point. point. Thank you. You're um, right. Oh. Excuse me. Uh, excuse me. But, um, I am fashioning a dunce cap and putting it on my head as we speak. Connolly literally pushed his glasses up his I nose as he said that. I did it. All three of you are wearing glasses. I just realized mm-hmm. that's wonderful. I can't see, but I can hear style. damn good. Sometimes but when also, it's loud. Also, that someone needs to swirly all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Also, the cover of As Loud as Possible is in my top three oh, time yeah. noise album. Oh, yeah. Covers. Is it no, because of so the nipples? No, 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 no. Sorry. Just, no, the, the, oh, the, the record. C- the incapacitance. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, the cover of this magazine, it's it, intense I, calling great. it a magazine, when you pick it up, it weighs like two pounds. So it really yeah. doesn't feel fair. Half it for weight. Uh, good old Rudolph Bear, Runzel Stern, and Gurglestock. Uh, with uh, an X carved in his forehead and wearing uh, shirtless with suspenders, leaning into the camera and looking uh, quite. Also, his arms are pulled, ali- pulled all the way far back, enough away back that I've had more than a few people wonder if he was like. Yes, yeah, so almost know, looks like he doesn't yeah. have. Arms. He doesn't have arms. Yeah, it it casts a, a striking photo. Um, so, how did you decide on this for a cover photo? Uh, I I think that all sort of happened outside of me, but. Um, you know, the 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 Schimpfluck article, which was written by Alice Kemp, mm-hmm. was I think that was sort of decided early on that that was going to be like the main sort of feature story. Yeah. Um, and also. Oh, so anyway, I was, I was saying there were like six or eight people who were sort of knocking ideas back and forth as loud as possible. The name came and it was just like, OK, this is it. This is what we're going to do. But just over time, whether we pushed them away or people just had other things to do, it just eventually came down to me and Steve emailing. And there's no exaggeration to say 20 times a day for months. <laughs> oh, wow. I Amazing. mean, we were constantly talking about like the tone of it, what it was, what it was, what it wasn't. Uh, it was a lot of what it's not going to be. <laughs> Steve had a lot of like, it is not going to be like maximum rock and roll. We are not going to have regional scene reports. <laughs> Steve told me if I put the words scene or underground in any of my articles, I would be immediately fi- fired and possibly court-martialed and sent before a firing squad. <laughs> he had a very specific tone in mind that he wanted for this. I think this is also, you know, you're talking about the, the, late 2000s and I, like I worked a desk job I ran the you know Phil and I ran the the noise board yep the uh the I heard noise board and I had a lot of time to be on the internet and communicate and network with other noise people and I feel like that was a thing around then for yep. a lot of us is like had time to be on the internet which I don't really feel like I do as much these days yeah um but it certainly I can imagine writing some with someone 20 Times a day back and forth oh, going over a project like this. I was, back I was in a cube farm. You know, I was working for a publisher at the time. Steve was uh, driving buses in Nottingham. And so he would have time between routes where he would just be sitting in the dispatch station with his Blackberry and just blah, 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 you know, just <laughs> sending me endless emails of either. Here's a thing I got recently, you know, just constant one upping of each other and records that we found or whatever. But there was just a lot of talk of like, you know, we have this opportunity. We have this depth of knowledge and obsession and we, you know, as, as, you know, as, as I, I mentioned, sort of the cranky aspects of it, but but he really had like a lot of like he really insisted whenever possible, if we're going to do an artist, like push them to find photos that aren't on the Internet anywhere. So like nice. when you look through that broken flag piece, like there's pictures of like Vortex campaign, which like when you, you I didn't even know what they looked like. And then right. you see them and you'd wow, you know, but that happened because, you know, every single time it was like, can we have 
your photos. No, not that photo. Some photo that's not yeah, already on photos. the internet. Oh, like with yeah. Zone Nord. I mean, we couldn't find anything on the internet. No. Like, it was crazy. It no. was, that was our main source. And so, going back to the Rudolph cover story, uh, another thing that, like, Steve really came up with, is, and I think it was partially because the Rudolph cover was so striking, and it was in black and white, mm-hmm. is that for each of the future issues, he wanted it to be a portrait of just one person. Like, he really... Like, just to see them all in a row like that, a face, a face, a face, a face, you know. We had in our heads that we could... In each future issue? We had in our heads that we could get as high as four issues, possibly. Okay. Like, even... That would like, have been so cool. With uh-huh. all, uh, yeah. I mean, I think we gave ourselves, like, 15 years to do four issues or something. So there's <laughs> still time. Yeah. No, there's no more time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so I, I don't know where I was going with that, but... Um, so... <laughs> You know, so we were just just throwing these ideas back and forth, and we were really re- like refining exactly what we wanted. It's not going to be a blog. It's not going to be available on the internet. It's going to be a thing that you hold in your hands. It's going to impart specific information that's not on the internet, and it's going to tell stories that aren't being told anywhere else. And, you know, part of it is, you know, a lot of these are older artists who have just sort of like fallen through the net. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's new artists. You know, I did a a spotlight of uh, Ides, Nicole Chambers's tape label, uh, Climax Denial, who I didn't think was getting a lot of uh, press at the time. Um, we did we had, you know, classic album features, um, you know, and and these things just came with time. We had, uh, you know, we had a lot of contributors at the beginning there where we would just get people to do a short essay on different things. We had Spencer Ye talking about passion of rubbers, you know, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, but it was still just being filtered through Steve and I. So you said around 2007 is when you started discussing this, started getting going and 2010 is when it came out. Yes. Is that right? And we were working on it pretty much that entire time. Like 2007's no fun. By 2008, we were kind of in full swing. We had like what we imagined it to be. Uh, what we were, you know, planning to cover and, you know, yeah, it, it, it was a, at least a solid two years of work. And I mean, that, that's late 2010. I think it came out in like October 2010. Well, so. one thing we always thought was so fascinating was that Steve was a bus driver. Yes. Uh, at the time, like a, wasn't it a double decker Well, bus? yeah, so mm-hmm. so Steve, uh, all of us know, uh, know Steve. Have, He's have, quite a character. Steve we love Steve. someone yeah. who is very, very... <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, he would. Uh, he was very important uh, for, especially for hair police. He 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 booked and helped drive us on tours in the in the UK. He drove us on a two week UK mm-hmm. tour, like just of the UK. We played some insane, weird, out of out of the way places. And his drive and passion, but also his total like disregard for ever acknowledging that like like he would right now he's probably cringing if he's even hearing yeah. this being me even paying a compliment like he is the most like that true like british self-depreciating like would just like you know i don't know he's so funny he's so but he's so but always up for that drive took yeah. the whole thing did it himself up in the morning um and it was just it was just so amazing but now that i'm thinking about it that like him driving the bus so and those, then and those, thinking about this about this magazine this book yeah. and deciding what he wants and what he doesn't want and i also love now thinking about you in a cubicle thinking about what you want and what you mm-hmm. don't want like it's like you don't have to occupy much of your brain so the rest of it can just be like no this is what i want i, I want to do this i probably should have been occupying more of my brain on my job but uh, <laughs> <nah>. <laughs> turned wor- out fine it worked Sorry. out it, everything worked <laughs> out in the end um yeah and and we really did you know we 
refined and, and contradicted each other's ideas and, and, you know, vetoed and counter vetoed and things like that. Like we were, it was, it was definitely a push pull in like the best possible way, you know, like for those who don't know, uh, or who don't have the luxury of having a copy handy of this fine magazine it is 160 pages. Yeah. It sounds about right. Uh, and, and triple, triple columns. Yeah. And, and yes, triple columns, triple columns pretty small text. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's also like, this is larger than eight and a half by 11, right? This is yeah, probably some, some UK equivalent. I think, yeah, it was printed over there. Table of contents, opinion columns, the politics of harsh noise wall zone, Nord sewer election, 30 years of the haters, alien brains, storm bugs, and anti-mesthetics climax denial, cheap machines, Ides, apraxia, Interchange, Putrefier, Runzelstern and Gurgelstock, No Fun, Broken Flag, Classic Albums, and Reviews. There's there's 40 pages of reviews. I mean, yeah. there's some ads, but... The reviews are so intense. There's 40 it's pages, like full, you know, US size sheet paper, three yeah. columns of a uh, small typeface of reviews. So this thing is, is massive. In, I would occasionally get in my head a little bit because I would get people come up to me and say, oh my God, I love it as loud as possible. And then everything they name was things that Steve worked on. They're like, that broken <laughs> flag thing is so intense. I'm like, thanks. I didn't do anything with it. Oh my God, that Runzelstern thing. Like, thanks. Alice wrote that. You know, well, hey, we but, love the Zone Nord article. I was going to say, our favorite yeah. article yeah. is the Zone Nord article. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. And the reviews you did we, in the back. We, yeah, I was going to say, uh, Chris Groves. Previous podcast guests wrote some reviews. Fantastic, yeah. Nick Henry wrote a great number of reviews. Uh, maybe a few other. Oh, I think maybe Dan Hans. I can't remember right now. But yeah, I wrote the bulk of the reviews. I mean, it was probably over 100, I would think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you just kind of collect as throughout the years, you would just do them yeah. like whatever you get the release, you want to do a review. That's, and- that's one of the things that I, that really kind of the one of the few things that sort of bothered me about the magazine was it was a multi-year process. Uh, and when it came out, like those reviews you know, I think someone, some, someone on the internet said some of these reviews are things that I've, I've bought, listened to and sold in the times, you know, or whatever. I, but that doesn't matter because now it's 10 years later and that yeah. doesn't matter. You yeah. know what oh, I mean? No. Like and, and it's such an irrelevant thing yes. of like this record came out three years ago and, and now it's being published in this thing. I find it so, Oh yeah. We're talking like with noise extra, we're talking about records that are over 20 years old and it's like, people are still oh, getting turned it to on. Heart, don't worry. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I don't know what I'm just saying. It's such a, it's to me, it's such an irrelevant yeah. concept yes. even of like, I, if a if a record's good, it's worth talking about at any time. And and I, that was also completely on the table when we were we were discussing all the sort of aspects of it. Was like, yes, these are going to be older reviews, but the reviews we like reading are things that were written in like the other sound or unsound or ND or Banana Fish. Yeah, and, you know, because you're gonna. We knew like this is something that we're going to be coming back to in ten years and then thumbing through and say, oh, what did what did I think about that blood box set? You know, <laughs> and we're doing that and thinking that. Yes, Chris, I have <laughs> a question. Out. Please, as someone who's written, you said a reviews for this magazine yeah how do you find the process of writing a review uh versus what we did with the emil bolio anti-performance tape um because you're the first person we've had well chris i guess we could have talked to that about too but yeah we've just finished that was sort of just an interview we've just we didn't do a record we've just finished doing a record right with you and now we're talking about this magazine so what how do you find the process differ uh from a podcast to writing a record review like kind of in your own in your own private zone I mean, I, I, I think and overthink about review writing all the time and have for, you know, 
two decades now, probably my, my, I had a blog in, 1997 where I wrote like reviews of spike tapes. You know, I've been doing this for a while now. I wrote for the last issue of Muckraker. I wrote for Blastitude or for Dead Angel. Uh, so I've been writing reviews for a long time. All and of which I've read. <laughs> I think probably all of us have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've never been terribly happy with my own reviews, but I'm always trying to get better with them. Um, and I've, I really would have liked to have, I always wanted to talk to Chris Groves about how he writes because I think there's a, a lot of benefit to a lot of different approaches to writing about noise because it's, there's no real like default way of doing it. You know, the way Seymour Glass writes about MSBR and the way Chris Groves writes about it is so completely different oh, from yeah. how I write about it. Uh, and Chris Groves is so good at like being able to interweave, not just like, you know, visual and abstract ideas but he's he really knows the tech so he can he can say like oh this is just that one filter sweep over and over again where i'm like filter sweep that's a filter sweep <laughs> you know i don't know there's that one thing that makes a weird noise that i really like you know but i don't know how to describe that at all so I, I, you know my my take on it has changed a lot over the last 10 or 15 years and especially after uh we put the issue to bed like i got really really sick and i've heard this from other uh like noise music writers uh, you get sick of your own structures like you can see your bullshit coming you know like <laughs> you know it, i'm always going to start with this one thing i have these same three or four stock sentences that get yeah. me into it you just get really you just start hearing your own voice and you're just like oh, blah 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 you know and one of the things that really broke me out of it, um, between 2013 and 2016, I wrote over 200 book reviews on Goodreads. I was, I had like a bus, a long bus commute. I was reading a lot of novels and I just wrote full length, like book reviews and being able to write mm -hmm. about fiction or about nonfiction and have like something that you can sort of like structure and like build new structures around, like did wonders for the way I write about noise in terms of like, you know, I, I started trying to like write about food. I tried to write about things that weren't abstract sound for a while because, you know, writing about food or writing about a book or writing about a movie, they're all such completely different structures that you start with. And so, um, you know, it's really easy to get stagnant. Um, but, you know, at, at that point, I was definitely working a lot more with sort of like, you know, metaphoric things. This is, you know hot asphalt being dropped on an electrical snake from 5,000 feet, you know, like <laughs> that stuff is, is all super, super useful, but you get sick of it after a while. And then, so you start adding other things. Okay. Well, this has this particular emotional state or it has, you know, you start thinking in terms of like perfume, like a certain like gesture comes into your, into your senses mm -hmm. and things like that. And, you know, I don't know if my reviews are any better now than they were before, but I have like sort of more, inputs to draw from and i i'm i'm less sick of my own writing as a result of that i i'll say i i'm hugely influenced by roger ebert like i love his movie reviews because he has such a great way of like humorously like summarizing a plot and i've i've used that as such a crutch when i was like starting to write like book reviews but like just these sort of particular sort of like humane arcs like just changed everything it just opened me up you know because mm -hmm. like yeah if you just keep hammering that one thing over and over it, it just gets so stale after a while you know so um in terms of talking about it it's so much more fun and it's so much more in the moment um, and I think the problem for me, and maybe not everyone feels this way, but like, 
like when I'm writing something like it always feels make or break because I can't edit it afterwards. You know, like I'm if you ever see me like put a review of something on like Facebook or somewhere, you'll always see the word edited afterwards because I'm constantly fiddling it. <laughs> oh, no, that's not what I meant to say. And then I'll, I'll go back in and I'll change, you know, this tone, tone of voice or this tone of phrase. So I'm just doing that constantly. And it takes away some of the joy of like actually like writing about a record that you really care about because you're just so in your head about sticking the landing every single time, you know, whereas like the joy of, I mean, well, partially the joy of it is it's collaborative. And so if I get stuck out trying to describe a thing, then Tara or Mike or Gray comes in and they, oh yeah, that's a good point. And then they, they jump and then it sort of revitalizes you. So um, it, it's, a, it's a lot more fun and it gets you to a lot of the similar places. I think I feel the same way in regards to that is that I wouldn't want to do this on my own. Having, having these two and a guest makes it feel one of us always has something to say or some different direction to take the interpretation yes. of the record. And that's what makes it so enjoyable. And, and so collaborative is like Tara's hearing this. I'm hearing this. Connolly's got his eyes closed and he's seeing this thing. And like, mm -hmm. and our guest has a completely different perspective because we're very used to each other, but you come into our orbit and now we all have different takes on these things. And yeah. it's, uh, I really, I really love it. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so wild to see how differently different people can think and i know that's like such a simple concept but like you know we can all listen to the same abstract thing and just come away with something just like absolutely different yeah um and then appreciate and like it. totally different things about it it's so interesting and, one and, of the things i love is that uh, you know chris is uh, actually also a patron of the podcast on our patreon oh yes thank and you and gets then thank you of course and gets the uh notes the blank note sheets that we send out usually a week before the episode and chris has sent us his filled out note sheets so before cool. so we can see the notes he's making because of course we've been talking about oh that was such a working pleasure. on something together and we've been friends with chris for a very long time well and it's fun to re revisit like a, a album that i haven't thought about for 15 years and then get to hear and i think a lot of people who have these albums it's it's as fun to hear i haven't thought about this record for 10 years and then you hear people say well what about this thing what about that thing and you hear it and you're like you're right boy why haven't i put this why haven't i put love and noise on and you know ages and ages you know because i have thousands of other records to listen to I yeah guess, yeah but. you probably you got 15 other cccc records even you can play so yeah. like why did this yeah. one or why, why that, that one? one so yeah what's actually funny is i've found and actually this this past week week or two we've been listening to albums that we've done episodes on that's cool <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, you, no, you were listening true. to yeah. my bacterium yes. for the hometown episode yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah which is just it's just that funny thing where it's like because sometimes when you when you know you get in the research zone you're building up for the episode and then once you do it you kind of like you move on to the next bit, thing yeah but it is funny to go back and then listen and then it is one of those things where like went back and listened to Mech P.O. Bacterium and it just sounded like I it sounded like we had not just listened to it. Yeah. Like, I was yeah. like, what is this? I'm like, I don't, what are we listening I'm like, to? Yeah, I, don't I, don't feel, I don't feel like we <laughs> listened to this album. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it just constantly is like new. It just feels new constantly, which I love that. If, if you're any kind of noise maniac, like you have more noise albums than you're ever going to get to yes. listen to. And <laughs> oh, you, don't remind and me. You all, oh, me either. And, you know, and you'll, you have in your mind your canonical 10 or your canonical 20 or whatever yeah. but like again with like context and story like noise thrive i mean not everyone agrees with this but noise thrives on storytelling I, like, uh, we, uh, we, agree. we agree you know <laughs> that's how you find out you you find out a record is good not just by listening to it but by talking about it with other people that's how i've been discovering so much more of the new stuff is talking to people about and paying attention to 
younger labels and artists that I might not know about, but my friends are more involved or invested in some of that stuff. And they'll tell me about things. You need a window. You need a windowing mechanism. Otherwise it's just, there's everything out right, there. I can go, I can go, yeah. you know, look at, and it's like putting nothing in the search bar and looking at every result. It's like, I don't know which <laughs> yeah. thing to check out, but then yeah. you talk to your friends and they're like, Oh man, did you hear that new so-and-so? And it's, I think that's a really, really cool thing. And that's another part of the community and communal aspect of this is talking about it and stuff. And that's how you also, yeah. I mean, just like looking at reviews in a magazine, you read something and you go, damn, this sounds really good. And I can only yeah. imagine this person liked it or they didn't like it. But what they're describing sounds like something I would like. And, and that's what I love about it. And, and totally. We like to talk about the concept of the album, too. So like when you're going when you go to your friend's house and you are going through their record stacks and you're going through their tape boxes and their odd size releases and you're like, what is this? And then they describe it to you like succinctly, like, oh, dude, it just sounds like somebody like Mike, their dog breathing for 20 minutes. And you're like, oh, you want to throw that on? That sounds interesting. Or you're like, nah, I'm good. I'll Oh, even you know, in the, it's great. Like, like that's the best part. Just like that it exists. You're just stoked. Like, yeah, I'm glad I own it. Not going to listen to it. Love it. Even in the <laughs> 2000s, when like when artists touring people will come by and stay at my house, one of the things I would do is I'd put a record on, but I would ask if people had heard that band before first. I don't want to play something you've already heard. Generally, yeah. I'd be like, I know kind of what you like or what you're doing. So I'll like, oh, have you heard this? No. Okay, th- it's going on. You know, and like that's the that was the criteria. Is like, I don't want to play you. This thing you already know. We we can't. We're not going to sit here and listen to your favorite Steely Dan record. We're going to listen to some weird band that I like that you don't know about. And I hope that when I go to your house or wh- wherever, that you would do the same for me. Is like I turn people on to new things. Definitely, I've I've definitely found, and you know, everyone does it however they want to. But I've tried to really excise sort of like consumer guide aspects in my reviews because, again, the reviews don't often like unless you're reviewing. If you're like you know tabs out or you're you know, Vital Weekly or whatever, like your your goal of writing a review is not this is a thing that came out this week. This is not a consumer guide anymore. This is a, a free floating thing amongst tens of thousands of other things. And all you're saying is this is this is a thing and this is what it and this is what it does. And this is what it does sort of in the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's a great way of putting it. I mean, that's one of the things that sort of is freeing for us about doing such old records is there's no like. With the exceptions of like reissues and kind of a handful of more available things, some of these things are expensive and hard to find. Yeah. And maybe you can't buy the release we talk about. Maybe you can't, you're not tracking it down, but you can get another thing or listen to yeah. another thing by this project. Mm-hmm. And that might have more and different and better things to offer you than the thing that we even talked about. And right. then you can tell us about how much you like exactly. it. Exactly. We should be checking that out. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's fantastic to, to think the about. the best example. Mm. Yeah. Just anything. <laughs> Just, yeah. Pick yeah. Anything. Just pick a thing. Just pick anything by the wheel. You'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But getting back to the magazine. So I like we did reference Zone, the Zornord article. Yeah. We, we used it in our episode on Zornord. How did that come about? Um, boy, that was a uh, boy. I really had to dig for that guy. Very, so, very mysterious yeah, character. And well, I, you were the only other person I'd ever talked to that record uh, about that yeah. record with. I think, and I, I said that when we were doing the episode, is you're the only person that I knew that really cared about that pure CD that had, we'd ever had a discussion about it. No one else seemed to know about it. I, you could not get me to tell you the answer at gunpoint which Zone Nord album I got first. I don't even remember where it started, but somehow I got real loopy 
into his stuff. I found all of them and then found out, realized it was, only, there's only six things here, you know, like he, and over a, a span of way over 10 years, I think like, and so I, that that's a particular type of artist that I really like is, mm-hmm. is the ones who have a unique vision work very slowly and meticulously. And then when they feel like they've done what they want to do, just leave. You can just leave. You know, I'm, we can't leave, but someone can leave. You know? um, what a, what a novel concept. It. But I do love that too. Yes. I, I, yes. That's, I think you can that's just what, be done. If you yeah. want, you can just say, I've done everything I can do in this style. Um, and so, you know, the, the list of like, what could be potential, you know, topics for this issue. I mean, I don't even know what we had, but we, I mean, we were throwing, you know, four dozen, five dozen potential people, artists, whatever. And it was always sort of like, what's not out there, but is really interesting. And I don't have those lists. I, I see you looking at me. Right? I don't have those lists. Can we see those lists? I know. Can you Give me the list. I don't even you have an know archive? anymore. Um, <laughs> those extra needs those lists. <laughs> I need those lists. Um, but, you know, it was um, so I I told Steve I wanted to do it. And he said that. And uh, Tara, my French Sherpa, uh, Francois Dwari. Is that how you pronounce it? Something like that? No, I don't know. Uh, he's a, a a French tape guy. He had a, L- a RRR LP. Oh, yeah. Francois Dwari. Yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I think I have that record. I, I really like his stuff. Out. But apparently he was, you know, like a close confidant of of Jean-Luc Henri. And he, uh, Steve said, here's Francois's mailing address. Send him a letter. Uh, and he's like, I don't have an email for him. And so I wrote, you know, uh, Francois a letter saying, you don't know me. Uh, I'm very interested in interviewing Zone Nord for a potential magazine. Uh, I mailed it, never got a, like a printed reply or anything. Uh, so flash forward about three to six months later, I'm just scrolling through my email, nothing new. I click into my, my spam box and I and I just kind of like just scanning through it, making sure there's nothing important in there. I was just about to click empty all, and I see this uh, one one line in there, and it just didn't look quite like the usual like boner pills or real estate refi whatever hot teens hot teens. Um, uh, and it just and it and it just said J L Anglais. And then in the subject line, a sans objet, something like that, no subject, you know, which I didn't know <laughs> at the time. And I'm like, sans objet. And I, I was, I, I literally had my finger on the click to like delete all. And I like grabbed my arm and pulled it away. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> what is that? I quickly clicked on it. And it was like, I mean, it was like 75 deep into my spam filter. And it said, hello, my name is Jean-Luc Anglais of Zone Nord. I heard you were interested in speaking with me. Uh, I, I'd be happy to answer your questions. Like I could, I could have, I could have like as easily destroyed that. Like I could have not looked through it and just said, there's nothing in there. Were you cursing your spam filter? Were you like, damn you? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) what are you here for? If not to give me me? the quality material that I seek, you know, a couple of those boner pill things did make it into my inbox feed. I'm sure. But but the the zone Nord email did not. But how amazing it was meant to be. I mean, thank God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, And yeah. And it, and it like really locked in, like I have to do this, but you know, you, you see in there, I, I sent him a list of 
six or eight questions, just real basic stuff. Yeah. And he, you know, you could print out the entire page of answers on one piece of paper. Yes, you know? not, not a, not a, line, a uh... <laughs> couple lines, couple lines, couple lines. And so I, I feel like I could handwrite his answers. Oh, yeah. Without my hand getting tired. You could, yeah. <laughs> you could do it while I'm telling the story, probably. But, but, your, but your, what you added to the article was so, that was, you, it was so great. I realized that, yeah, that there's a bunch of different ways to do it and that I was, I was more interested in what I thought of the sort of connecting fibers of these really disparate albums. Cause again, not only did he do a few things, like none of them sound at all, like any mm-hmm. of the other things. And so I was more interested in what he had to say in terms of like, why did you change so radically from one album to another? And he didn't really tell me other than I got a new computer or <laughs> I was interested in this. And then I got bored of that or what have you. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I made, and yeah, that was, that was one where I really, sat down and made myself like write like second by second. Like I'm, I'm still, I'm not that happy with a lot of the things I write, but I'm still pretty happy with that article in terms of some of the sort of like visual aspects of, of what came through there's in the, in the Salbutinol CDR, I say something about like, um, it's like watching, like a paramecium become emaciated, like, and it's like velocity without movement. I, I don't remember what it was exactly, but <laughs> but it, it looked perfect in my mind. It was like a certain like like tone starving that I thought was was really exciting. I'm like, I love yes, it. that works. Um, so yeah, so that that sort of locked in the idea of like you can just write about the records. The interview can be tertiary, uh, and yeah, and it just it it locked in. It was really good. Uh, we were able to get that, that crazy picture from the first album cover, you know, uh, and, and he sent out like a, a better version of it or is no, I just scanned it off the cover. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. yeah, yeah. That cover, the paper that covers on and the printing, it all feels so delicate. The, uh, the record oh, itself. the LP. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's definitely, it feels like you're going to scratch the it's ink bar- it's off bargain or, line. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those records you can kind of like make the UFO sound when you wobble it, you know? <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it packs a wallop obviously. Oh yeah. Well, and it's so fun with. Um, I'm watching Gray flip through it right now. I'm and, actually just yeah, I'm just reading the magazine. And it's so exciting right to see the ads too. Like we oh, always yeah. talk about how great <laughs> it is when you see the label ads. Well, I just look. There's a really okay. There's a really funny uh, misanthropic agenda, which is Garrett, who you said was kind mm-hmm. of on board early on. Oh, Dude, I love that. Ha- that's my favorite. That's my Hansen. favorite one. It's yeah. a half page ad. It's all black, and it has contact info at the bottom, but the ad just says 100 noise section. <laughs> I yeah. think that's such a great ad. <laughs> yeah, that was for that was for when the brick and mortar store opened. I think. Oh, okay, so he wanted okay. to let you know that oh, my, yeah, my store address. my store is nothing but a noise yeah. section which i thought was great <laughs> it happens to be uh just opposite a pika disc ad yeah. for government alpha full page amazing uh, i love yeah flip love, another couple pages you're, there's a half page self-abuse ad i love the hospital ad yep. in the back with the handwritten like and the, the, yeah. on the last right page yeah. the collage oh, yeah. and then the handwritten yep uh i love that i love that so much i've been lax at putting ads in magazines and i it now more than ever, I feel like I have really screwed up and should have just been doing it all along. Cause now when I flip through them, I like one of the first things I look at is the ads. Like, no, I'm what so was out stoked then? every time. What's, what I wouldn't what give cool for then? Dillaway to revive. Was it network Document? network network? Oh. Um, so what, what was, when did it, when was it clear that the, the issue had come together? I guess would give us the now kind of give us to the to the finalizing process. Oh, good lord! Um, <laughs> this I mean, is a, a three year. Well, yeah, it longer than three year easily, process, but easily three years for sure. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like we had you know the list of what we were going to do pretty early on. Um, 
you know, even the smaller things that I did took me a long time, but Steve really bit off, obviously, some pretty huge chunks of things. He covers mm. the entire Broken Flag label. You know, he interviewed over 20 people in there, you know, wow. probably. Uh, you know, everyone from, you know, William Bennett to Vortex Campaign to Gary Mundy to, you know, whatever. Um, so these things would just we would be talking about how they were coming along for six months, eight months, 10 months, a year, still working on it, still working on it. It was a lot of still working on it, honestly, you know, and, and then every now and again, you would lock a thing in and you'd send it over and okay, that'll work. Or I don't know how I feel about this or what have you, um, to get to the very end point. I mean, we had a, we had a, a hard deadline because there was some kind of a shimflick festival, not extreme rituals, but something before that, that, that Steve was doing. And he really, really wanted the magazine to be ready for the event. So we had a hard out and that really helped. I mean, yeah. one of the things that really made issue two difficult was we never really gave ourselves a deadline. There was just a big pile of things to do and let's just keep working at it, you know? So you just, you're just constantly, you know, just trudging away. But, um, so yeah, the last couple of months, and where's that pile? It's all <laughs> over my house. I have. I would like to see. I have pile. a. I have a giant shelf that's nothing but research material for like the like six to eight in progress feature stories. You know, just boxes and boxes of. Can we talk about what those? Well, yeah. Let's get to let's get to those <laughs> okay, in a minute. Okay, right? sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. of course, of course. Side so, track. Um, so yeah, those last couple of months, and I and I, I've really got to like mention, and I hope to God I can pronounce his name right, Bill. Kuligas, that's I believe that's Bill correct. Kuligas of uh, of Pan uh, was the graphic mm. designer on this, so he there's had, a nice Pan ad in here too. Yeah. which mm -hmm. 2010, I guess I hadn't. He designed uh, fully the, he how. designed the font face. He designed the logo, I believe. That's great. Uh, it's a great looking. Um, he you know he chose you know the font inside, uh, laid the whole thing out, and I mean we gave him all this stuff and something like a week to 10 days to do it. And it was, <laughs> would not have guessed that. No. Wild. That is oh, wild. It was horrifying. Like he was literally <laughs> emailing us. Like I have not slept for 36 hours. <laughs> this has to end soon. Like he, we pushed him beyond what was appropriate. <laughs> and wow. I really appreciate it. Cause it looked beautiful. It was amazing. But like it, that was an ugly deadline. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, I was working at work, but I was literally like copy editing on the job. I was copy editing at home. I was crying in my office. I mean, it was intense. Mm. I'm not going to lie. That last month or so was really one of the most intense months of my life for sure. Wow. What was the, was the, what was the last article finished? Do you remember that? Not a clue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was just all, it was just all like, um, I've buried it all. No, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you what we were still, I, th I think one of the things was that I, I was kind of waiting till the very end to sort of finalize the reviews. Cause I just was kind of kept chucking right, more right. things into it, but I couldn't begin to tell you like where, where we ended. It was just kind of, I think a lot of things kind of, got done at the same time or it was a lot of like fuck it close enough you know what have you who who was in charge of uh doing the ads and stuff was that you or uh, you steve, steve hustled the ads for sure cool. yeah he was he was definitely the the money man on on that sort of thing um and you know we a thing you know we learned in the first issue was we were soliciting ads at what we thought was six months out which turned out to be two and a half years out so there were several times where people had to resubmit ads because they had been sitting on our desk for a year, 18 months, and we're like, yeah, this we're not advertising not this yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't even have this label or whatever, you know. 
it was a larger scale project than we could ever have imagined. And, you know, up to the last minute, there are, you know, there are a couple things where like in the haters piece, there's a couple pixelated images. It was just like, we, we did everything we could to get the high res things, you know, folders get swapped. Oh, I did. It's too late. We just, this has got to have to do, you know, there's, there's, there's typos I missed. There's, you know, there's all sorts of little imperfections. Did did you, did you do the copy editing? I did a big bulk of the copy editing. Um, I I also, I can't even imagine that. The thing I'm I'm very happy with also is on some of the bigger feature stories, I contributed the footnotes, which was a lot of fun because there were certain, like, especially with broken flag and the uh, alien brains thing, there was a lot of very British specific, terminology and stories <laughs> yeah. like what is a what are hunt sabs anyone know what those are nope no clue hunter no. hunter saboteurs this was a thing in the 80s where <laughs> animal rights activists yeah, like, were against fox hunting and mm-hmm. so they would like go out into the woods where fox hunts yeah. were happening and they would like knock people off their mm-hmm. horses or disrupt them in some way and i'm like no one in america knows what a hunt sab is i need to write a, a footnote for this i'm like steve i i need to you know and so i got to learn about the wearside jack Calls, which is a, a Yorkshire Ripper thing. Do you know that story? Actually, I don't know that story. No. Okay, Tell so us more. I, Yorkshire I, Ripper, uh, Peter Sutcliffe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I know all. I, I'm not. Maybe I'm not looking right at it right now. But uh, short version. Uh, in early on in the sort of Peter Sutcliffe investigation, long before they knew it was him or anybody, um, you know, there was this story: Yorkshire Ripper or person, you know, doing all these murders. Uh, some random guy. You know, drunk one night, called a police station and said, you know, this is where this is. This is Jack. You know, this is I'm the one who did it. And he had uh, a where side is like a a certain like province or town in England. Mm -hmm. And it's a very hyper specific accent. Yeah, of course it is. That only like 3000 people use this accent. And so what happened was the police were spent almost 10 years literally almost interviewing every single person with this wearside accent and it like threw the investigation off for almost a decade and i think the guy even like just drank himself to death he was so remorseful over doing this because it was literally just i'm drunk haha this would be funny and it just completely like people lost lives it changed the course of uh, all sorts of things i do when you were telling that story i do recall this story you can also find i think you can find the wearside jack tape on like youtube and stuff like yeah yeah i I think it's there was a a great series a uh, uk true crime series that oh, that, co- yeah. that, that uh covered peter cycle and, and discusses that when yeah when it when you were saying that i was like oh, so, yeah i do remember so that. getting to sort of research you know so honestly the most exciting thing a lot of times about putting the magazine together was getting steve's article and i i finally get to hear this story like a, a lot of what we wanted mm. to do about this magazine was we were excited to hear the story you know like yeah. i don't i didn't know about zone nord it was exciting to hear the story from him you know so to get all these stories, but then say like, well, there's all these like gaps in it. There's going to be a lot of U.S. readers. They're not going to understand what, you know, what these different things are. And it was it was fun to just be able to do these research and, and write these these little you know footnotes and sort of, uh, you know, give people context. That's good. Having that outside perspective and you're reading it and being like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I need to look it up. So I'm going to make a footnote. Yep. So no one else needs to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember what the process of distributing it was? Uh. Th- it was every anywhere and everywhere. I mean, I think I, I don't know a lot about the machinations of what Steve did in England and Europe, but I mean, he did a lot, you know, like he uh, every conceivable distro had copies. He was, you know, bringing stacks to every festival show and event. Um, I printed or I got printed, you know, hundreds of buttons. Steve was all about the badges. So we 
I would mail like priority mail uh, envelopes just packed to the gills with 300, 500 buttons. We got, <laughs> there's a lot of as lot as possible buttons out there. And we don't have these. I don't buttons. think I've ever seen them. I feel terrible. I should have brought you some. I'm going to mail you some. Or <laughs> when I teleport back here to do more episodes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Perfect. that's another question I have is, yeah. well, I know I know that you did a lot of hand-to-hand distribution yeah. for stuff because I stocked them at the record store I worked mm-hmm. at for six years. We had copies of this on the table. Yeah. Are you still sitting on a stack of copies of these, or this, is this just gone? The two that you're... Uh, the one that I have here is one of three that I have left in my collection. Okay. Nice. Um, I think Steve might still have a box or two in his attic. Uh, I'm going to hopefully see him in August, and I'm hoping he'll let me take a, a small stack home with me. But they're really gone. That's so cool. I actually oh. cannot even remember where I got my copy from. Yeah. Might have just I, been directly from Steve. I can't uh, like even remember like when we got it. Yeah. Well, what, right when it came out, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we all had it right when it came out. I it, was hand mailing individual copies from home. I mean, they they fit real nicely in a in a priority envelope or whatever, and and uh, or you know you could you could put like twelve into a, a medium priority box or mm-hmm. something like that. It fit real nice in that regard. But I mean, you know, forced exposure. Uh, I don't know if Anomalous was going, but I don't remember. Every conceivable, you know, distro. Was Triple R carrying it? Yes. They, they they might still be listed, but not available on the on the website or something like that. I don't remember. I think Erstwhile might, might actually have a copy or two left. Erstwhile has a distro. There you go. Um, take a look. I don't know. So 2010, it comes out. Yeah. You guys, had, you know, of course, like you said, you'd, you'd kind of looking at maybe we were going to do four issues, mm-hmm. you know, second issue. Yeah. What's the process of when are you going to start working on it? Oh, we started immediately. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the, the sort of thing that we built into it that knocked us down was we were always trying to top ourselves and we were trying to top everything. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> you know, like, like you said, you, you haven't seen that many triple column, 160 page, you know, zines that only cover yeah. things that aren't on the internet, you know? Um, but our idea for issue two was double the size of the first issue. I remember, <laughs> I remember hearing that at the time. Yeah, I, I also remember you started working on it amazing. immediately after this one I, came I, out. I, was, I, had, I had maybe four or five column or four or five feature stories in the first issue. I was working on between eight or nine for issue two, uh, and we started to sort of create all these restrictions. It was no longer acceptable to uh, do like an email transcripts of an email interview whenever possible talk to them face to face get it on tape transcribe it it needs to be face to face in person we can't just do transcripts it has to be through written where we're just using their quotes into a feature story of our own making you know twice as many reviews um you know and <laughs> but but without actually having tools or ideas of how to accomplish any of this Right, right. Neither of us have a journalism background. Neither of us have like written full books before. Well, I mean, but you we, did. Here we, it is. Yeah, <laughs> and then the second one was definitely was going to be a book, you know. And but we didn't really tell ourselves how we were going to do it. We just said it. It just has to be bigger than the first one. It has to crush everything. Um, and <laughs> he, uh, Steve wanted to do uh, different cover stories for the UK and the US version. So different cover pictures, yeah. different back covers, different printing, different printing, <laughs> different, uh, different editorials. So there really would be a UK and a US edition. 
Um, that just seems cool. Change all the S's disease, yeah. you know, all yeah. that jazz. Oh, yeah. Un, yeah, unanglicize, re-anglicize, all of it. That's all, that, that'll fill up my desk. Yeah. So who are some of the, what were some of the features that you had planned? Okay. Um, <laughs> or, or, you know, feel yeah. free to, whichever ones you would like I'll, to dive I'm, I'm, I'm selectively editing. There's a couple That's that, yeah, I don't fine. want to. Um, uh, I had uh, so well, one of the things we really liked doing in the first issue were was the classic album features where you would just much like noise extra you would mm-hmm. pick an album you would pick it apart but you would also talk to the source person who made it uh, one of my favorite things in issue one was I got to talk to I mean I talked to Scott Faust all the time but talk to him about the twenty committee and right. the network album and get all those stories and again like all of the sort of like the tech and the you know the how hands-on that was the way they were like pointing the, the 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 speakers into the corner and getting like the natural room reverb and moving the the microphones back and forth and stuff like that so for issue two mm-hmm. i was doing one on uh illusion of safety's more violence and geography i spoke to dan burke and uh, i think mark klein sat down with me uh like on the northwestern campus with a with a recorder <laughs> told me all sorts of great stories about uh you know like early Chicago noise industrial shows at, you know, places like the Cubby Bear and oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like White House played and everything, Absolutely. you know, playing with people like Cheer Accident and Ono and, you know, all the sort of like early 80s people. And I'm still going to try and put that one out. But, um, you know, so that was that was I, I have a couple of shorter things like that. There was one on wasn't a noise band, but uh, the band No Mercy. Do you know them at all? Nope. They were mm-hmm. a, a two woman uh, uh, sort of no wave uh, San Francisco band, just drums and vocals. Uh, their tagline was no boys on guitars. And, uh, they, the Spear Viaduct put out an LP by them. And I wrote this long sort of like through written thing about, you know, uh, taking all the way from like them moving from like Texas to San Francisco. They got involved with, uh, like the sort of like, um, you know, gay liberation and like the angels of light and the theater groups and things like mm-hmm. that. And then they sort of moved over to the sort of like the industrial scene with people like Factrix and, and, you know, Zev and whoever, uh, and playing at like, you know, the, the, the deaf center where all the deaf people were hearing the punk rock or feeling it in their chests and things like that. And I would like to eventually put that out as well. Um, but I have a couple of like massive things that are not done and are, I'm still actively working on right now. One is about um, a Seattle collective uh, based around uh, the what's called the incubator complex. And it was like a multi-story warehouse that they basically rented for a song. Uh, It was based around uh, like Mark Schomburg, uh, a.k.a. Abo of Yeast Culture, uh, John Hubbard of um, uh, Strength Through Joy. And he did the original uh, The White House uh, Still going strong book, I believe, or whatever the bootleg. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's such a like a multi input organization because you had you know this 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 complex that was uh, had a screen printing studio. It had art space where people were were sort of secretly living. Like he was telling me stories about how. Uh, you know, like the landlord would come knocking on Saturday morning at 6 a.m. to see if anyone was secretly living there. And they would have these like beds behind screens and they would have to like jump out of bed and instantly start painting or sculpting at six in the morning <laughs> on a Saturday so that he would just think, oh, they're all just doing art here in the, you know, in the morning and things like that. They had a record store there. They had a venue that, uh, you know, they they hosted Hafler Trio, Soviet France, the wow. earliest Mertzbau shows, uh, you know, all in the U.S. And... You know, and of course, uh, all the great East culture recordings, you know, the IYS LP and all the other stuff. But it's, you know, it's like a perfect microcosm of what made two so much harder than issue one was I was, you know, I was trying to talk to 
between six and ten people, uh, people who were, you know, had recently passed away or were in bad health, you know, um, and then just sifting through 30, 40 records wanting to write, you know, a full review of, you know, all of them. And you just, you know, and then and then doing that with eight other feature stories of equal length. And you're like the first issue was like, I don't know if, if you remember like plate spinning, you know, like the old oh, yeah. right. like, like on the Ed Sullivan, you'd have like eight rolling. plate. You just yeah. run from, you know, run from plate to plate. And this one's starting to stop and you got to hurry, start that one up again. Like issue two was like a ziggurat of like hundreds of plates <laughs> where not only were you trying to run them, you know, you'd have to run up and down steps to get ones that are up here, down here. And at a certain point you just would you just flop down on the ground and there were just plates crashing all around you. You know, like, mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. Um, Cause every single feature story had multiple people. I had to interview them in person. I had to, I transcribed, you know, four hours of, you know, random talk with us you know this is before rev and and places that would do the transcribing for you and things like that and so i just have these piles and piles of half-finished interviews mixed with half-assed record reviews mixed with notes to myself okay what else do i need for this thing you know and it feels like each feature story is a magazine like an actual magazine yeah yeah they we realized way too late we could have just focused on any one of the you know eight or ten things that we were working on and just made that the issue and we we kept saying like we're gonna do that let's let's just let's just cut it back let's just do a couple of short things and one long thing uh, you know, Steve was at that point working with a, a certain uh, UK punk band who's uh, we shall not name here. But uh, uh, and I was, uh, you know, starting a new job and didn't have quite as much time as I had at my old job, um, you know, and I started getting in my head, frankly, you know, like I just kind of felt like I had lost it or I just didn't have the skills to jump to the next level. And so months would just go by and you just you just can't bear to look at that corner with all the piles of paper and all the piles of records. And you keep you email each other every six months and go, yeah, we're still working on this, right? Yeah, we're still working on this. You know, he came to the U.S. a couple times. We'd, you know, get out the big whiteboard and yeah, all right, let's 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 focus on this, this and this. And then he'd be in Rotterdam for a month and I'd be working on something that, I, you know, for 14 hours a day for my day job or whatever. And, you know, it was only last year that we just finally said, let's, we just can't do this. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Really? That was actually what I was so curious yeah. about is when, when was the final. So wait a minute. So it was only, so I don't know. I feel like that's fresh. I feel like we could twist your guys' arm. Maybe. No. I'm, I'm still planning on, on, uh, Okay, so I I haven't stopped writing in that time. What I right, right. what I've done is 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 write manageable things that I can finish in a few weeks and then give away. Um, I actually just finished liner notes for a forthcoming reissue of Sewer Elections cassette music LP, which is going to be coming on LP on Fordomning Archive. Uh, I I wrote the the liner notes for the final Ceramic Hobbs uh, compilation where I got to it was the last thing I got to do with Simon was I interviewed him and we talked back and forth intensely for about a month and Amazing. got the whole history of the band, got to talk about, uh, you know, the individual stories between all of the pieces. And I mean... They kept the whole thing. It's a it's a literal little booklet in in the LP. I mean, it's three thousand words or something like that, and it meant meant the world to me. That's and so wonderful. That's yeah. great, and that's, that's great really that that great. exists. Yeah. And that's great that so that happy. exists. Yeah. 
Would you ever try to do something this magnitude again? I don't know. Um, I, I don't feel like I can stop. And I, and I have a sort of chronic disease of only doing things that are too ambitious. So yes, I have ideas of things that would be similarly ambitious, but would scratch different niches. I don't, I don't want to say much more than that at this point, but I, like I said, I, I kind of nurse myself back to health by doing uh, a number of small manageable things. Uh, I also wrote for a magazine called Vulture, which is mostly rock oh, yeah. based. Uh, Eddie Flowers at Bloomington, and and it, again felt very good to write about things that weren't necessarily abstract sound. Although I also wrote about ceramic hobs for that. Uh, I wrote. Uh, I interviewed uh, Tom Smith of to Live and Shave in Yay. L.A., uh, but specifically about the fact that he collects what he calls junk dubs, which is basically twelve inches from the '80s by bands that you wouldn't think would have a dub remix, like Huey Lewis. In the news or the Rolling Stones, no, or Billy Crystal's "You Look Marvelous." There's a dub remix on that, this. and Tom has it. He has upwards of 150 of these. I, I, be- I believe that. He sent me a zip- "You Look Marvelous." He sent he sent me a zip file of something like 150 junk dubs. So I like doing things like that now and again to kind of cleanse the palate. And like I say, I've been doing these kind of like smaller write ups and and you know doing liner notes or blurbs when people ask me for them. I'm happy to do that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I still have these sort of specters of these big stories that, you know, we got into this because we wanted to tell these stories. It doesn't at all feel right to say this story is not valid anymore. Like, I have to find a way to figure this out. And I don't know what that is yet. I need help, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go. Help we're me, se- you fucks. <laughs> we're, sending out, we're sending out an SOS. Yeah. Oh, is that I, a, need an, you, I need an editor. I don't know. I if mean, an editor has a lot of time on their hands, yes, yes. Uh, you know, I've had people who have said they'd be happy to help me edit, but uh, yeah, some of it's mental block, some of it's other things. But you also, know. they don't know what that entails. Sometimes I don't know what that entails either. Maybe somebody just needs to I break need. their leg and do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's hard to, to look mm. at the pile of stuff sometimes and and even know where to start. Yes, yeah, and because there's multiple piles. Because you know, after issue one. Everyone sent me a promo, which was great. I have I have shelves full of promos uh, across the spectrum. You know, can I, we I, see them? Can we look at them? What do you have? I'll, I'll send you photos. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And again, some of the stuff's really cool, but some of it is haunting because I don't want to just throw it out. But what do I do with it? You know, and mm-hmm. so you just have these kind of ghosts of all these these people that you've let down, and you got to figure out a way to sort of do right by everybody while still doing the next thing that you want to do who um how did who contacted gx for the uh, 30 years of the haters was that you or that was probably steve, steve. Yeah, um, yeah 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 um you know i i i definitely uh you know proofed it and and sort of touched it up here and there but that one his and and sam's piece came in pretty fully formed alice's came in you know the runcel stern gurglestock piece came in not only fully formed, but copy edited. I mean, it was basically just just drop and drag, you know, like it, it was perfect. Yeah. And she's like part of she is considered one of. The, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's in Shimflock. I now. guess so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I learned that from the, the Runcelstern yeah. episode. But uh, yeah. So after, you know, between issue one and now, you know, Steve, uh, again, a multi-year endeavor put together, uh, you know, organized extreme rituals, which was uh, mm-hmm. a multi-day Shimflock celebration in Bristol in England at the Arnafini Art Gallery uh, and flew me over there. It was co-sponsored by As Loud As Possible, so he managed to get me on the bill. Um, I interviewed uh, um, Mike Dando, Joe Klantz, Dave Phillips, and GX about 
transgressive strategies and noise music. And it was just cool. a round table. I was just moderating and they just sort of like talked about what they thought of, you know, what it means to sort of push the envelope and, and stuff like that. And I got to, I, I, I didn't get the memo. I'm the only one. Uh, if you see photos, I'm wearing a white shirt and a red, you know, necktie. And, you know, I was literally going on almost no sleep. I, you know, I'd, I'd flown there the night before I was six hours jet lagged, got up at five in the morning to get on a commuter train to Bristol, wow. almost literally walked on the stage, uh, interviewed, um, Rudolph joke and, uh, Vancey Sterneman about the roots of Schimpfluck. And I don't know if you want to put this on the show, but they iced me well, hard. Well, well, I will, that was an hour of me eating shit, man. Well, I'll, I will say this. I did know about this yeah. because when we were researching for the our mm-hmm. Runs Listener episode, there was a big review of the of this festival. And it talks about you doing the talks. And it says, yes, the one that you did with Mike and, and GX was awesome. Mm-hmm. And it was just super cool. They were great. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, whoever did the review... I, I guess maybe the shim flucked one might have been first, maybe. Do you yes, recall? He was first, yeah. And yes, the basically the review is exactly what you just said. He said uh, yeah. you couldn't pull out anything. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote about fourteen pages worth of questions, and it took about thirty minutes to burn through them. That's yeah. That's the, the review. <laughs> wow. The review. I will, said that, I will yeah. also. I will also put this on me. I'm more than happy to do this. What What was different between the two uh, was that Dave Phillips contacted me and put us on like a group email and said. I don't feel comfortable like hearing the questions the day of. He's like, I need you to write the questions at least a month in advance so that I can think about them. And I, I will admit, I did not give Rudolph the same courtesy. I wrote the questions. I was a little intimidated to write him. So I literally shook his hand for the first time about a half hour before we did the interview. Um, I do also know from one of the organizers that he was saying, I really don't want to talk about the history of this, you know, and, and maybe and nobody I, told you maybe. if <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. One of the, another person was going to interview him and he's like, as long as Chris is here, let's have him do it. You know, um, yeah. if I had maybe reached out to Rudolph a month in advance and said, I want to be respectful about this, you know, maybe it would have gone different. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want to talk about it. Maybe I asked the wrong questions. I asked some real corny questions. I'm not going to lie. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> I asked about what what uh, what part uh, um, day jobs played in in Schimpfluck. How did they like make money? He didn't want to talk about that, obviously. But you know, then that was also I, I felt like that was almost kind of like a culmination of some aspects of as loud as possible because it it worked on a similar scale. I didn't have anything to do with it. I'll, I'll admit I came in at the last minute, but you know, Steve and Rudolph and Richard Whitelaw and other people you know, spent literal years getting mm-hmm. all of the regulations in place when, you know, when uh, Vagina Dentata organ play, obviously, uh, Jordy has to, you know, he takes his baseball bat and he shatters all those mirrors on stage. And there was uh, uh, miles of regulations of what has to be done to contain broken shards, what to do if there's blood on stage. Wow. You know, I mean, that was like a whole sort of like health nightmare you know, and and it took just unbelievable amount of work. But it, again, it sort of reflects what like as loud as possible was about was like doing these things on this huge scale and bringing all these different sorts of people together. And I mean, it's no exaggeration to say that was like literally not just the best concert I've ever been to, but like three of the best days of my life. The combination mm-hmm. of music, people, experience, being in a new country for the first time and just the camaraderie. 
like years and years and years later, I still will occasionally write to people who were there and be like, can you believe we were there? That was that's so just cool. incredible. Yeah. And that's, that's also the festival where, where GX did the performance with Mike mm-hmm. and, and joke and, and Rudolph where they did the, yes, oh, that, that was so yeah. amazing. That was the show finale. That was the last thing of the, of the weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. really? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. What, yeah. a way to, what a way to go yeah. out. Yeah. Oh no. People were just about in tears. Like it was, it was so emotional that whole weekend, uh, you know, everything was was actionistic and intense. Alice did a thing earlier that day. She was she was do- providing a lot of um, sort of performance qualities to it. So she did a, a performance piece. Uh, it was uh, it was so. OK, so I have to sort of roll back a little bit. The Arnold Feeney is an art, a pretty high art art gallery in Bristol. And it's like right in the middle of the street, you know, right in the middle of downtown and I don't know if this is all of the UK or just here specifically, but it is free and open to anyone that wants. There's no charge. So there's just tourists and people just wandering, coming and going. What's going on in here? What's this thing? Wow. So they had to have lots of signs. There was a whole a whole room upstairs that was just old Schimpflick videos. And so they'd have lots of signs that like you make sure you know what you're getting into before Warning. you walk. Yeah, the spaghetti <laughs> actions, the puke actions, the baby dolls, the you know, you name it. And uh and again, people were just kind of randomly coming in and staggering out and so forth. But so on the fir- <laughs> on the first floor and they I, I I think it was intentional, but they um they sort of barricaded it off, you know, to just people who were there for the festival. But Alice sat in a chair. She was wearing like a skirt and a blouse and she had like a blue silk like shroud over her head. She was sitting in like kind of like a throne like chair. Uh, her f- her feet. She had like stockings on. But all of her toes were exposed, like the toes were cut out. Mm-hmm. And then in front of her was this huge, menacing looking pair of garden shears. And it was just sitting there in front of her. And she sat there, her face completely covered. And there was just this slowly rising, like feedback. It was just getting louder and louder, just dead silence, 10, 15, uh, 10 minutes probably at least, maybe oh. more nothing happening we're all just staring at those shears we're staring at her exposed hose and then it just stops and it, <laughs> and that's it and it was just 10 minutes of everyone in their own head in a blind panic you know like, like th- and things like that were happening all weekend long there was one there was one point where she was just she had this weird mask and she was like like sort of like half clothed half not clothed and she had like just her face was completely obscured and she would just kind of like walk around the the museum and then just sit in a corner and stare at people and then walk and walk over here. Um, there was an extreme yodeling class. Uh, I got to take extreme yodeling from from Doreen of uh, Ryan Bashi uh, and she had like workshops and she taught us like basic yodeling and then she taught us. Um, we, we did like yodels based on, um, Cornelius Cardew's treatise, you know, and, and then we got to do a recital. We walked around the the gallery and, and yodeled from, uh, you know, so it was just such a, a mix of like emotions. And then you would, you would leave and you would go into bars that had been there since like the 1600s. Yes. You know? some, Steve, it took, took me yeah. to an amazing bar in Bristol. That mm-hmm. was like, it was probably that place. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, was, it was Sunday night. Yeah. It, like everything else was closed. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it had been there since, you know, Shakespeare or whatever, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Nuts. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I, I always think of that in terms of, you know, as, as loud as possible, technically sort of, partially bankrolled it which means steve you know had a had a hand in it or whatever but it did seem like such a sort of like close point in in certain ways you know and a, and a thing that couldn't be topped 
That's so cool. Yeah, reading about that was awesome. That's so. Oh mm-hmm. man, that sounds so. It sounds insane. completely amazing. Yeah, it really oh, was. Wow. Yeah, Brian Lewis Saunders. I mean, you know, like Furpa, who was like this Russian group that does. Oh yeah, like, Tibetan ritual, Tibetan music. ritual yeah. music. You know, just all in there in their ritual garbs and just like the smell of incense. Oh, the thing that was talked about on the uh, Runcelstern thing. Uh, Rudolph did a, a, a that that piece where he had the, like the arm things with the bells and the and the the smell of boiling vinegar and oh wow unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, wow. and it just—it really was just like a ritual action, like you were just transported. You had us at the smell of boiling vinegar. Oh. <laughs> it, hard to miss. Yeah. <laughs> also, a great way to clean your uh, coffee pot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody. Calcium scales be gone. Mm. Wow, this was so cool. Do we do we have anything else? I mean, you know, I think we got we. We we I, th- I feel like there's going to be future, not necessarily future of as loud as possible, but future writing yeah. from Mr. Sanko. So I there feel better like be. there will be. I feel yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, this is this is like part one. Part two is going to be the future. Yeah. So we. If will, I feel uh, more confident about things that are that are swirling around now, I'll come back out and we'll we'll, yeah, talk, we'll know, talk about plans in like twenty thirty. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Wait. Let's wait till I you know retire from my day job. You know, Perfect. Twenty years now. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much for coming out and talking to us about as loud as possible and noise in general. And thank you. My pleasure. And thank you, Steve Underwood. Yeah. Shout out to Steve Underwood. I can't overemphasize that. Like whatever I contributed to this, this was in every way Steve's baby. Like I, I'm proud of my contributions or whatever, but uh, you know, and I don't remember if we were talking about that on the show or or elsewhere, but like Steve has such a skill for just putting his head down and doing it. Like he, Mm -hmm. he, you know, there's, there's no sense of like, uh, you know, what, what will this mean in the future or what, what prestige will this give me? Like he, he does things that he wants to do and does them well because he thinks they're important. And that's, that's unbelievable. And without that, that overarching sense of what was, was, and was not to be in this magazine, there's no way it would have come out the way it would. I, I, there's a lot of different things that I would have done that would have probably watered it down a little bit. That's super inspiring and infectious. Yeah. Well, hopefully one day we can have Steve on this podcast and talk to him and get his perspective too. Come on, come on over, Steve. Always down to hang out with Steve Underwood. Hell yeah. Heck yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.